Jeffrey Ambo, it's rather wonderful to be back with you. Um, we've enjoyed our holidays. We've been visiting family in Turkey and uh, church members who have moved to Georgia with uh, BP, the oil and gas company. And uh, greetings from Charlotte and Phil Matheson, those who know them. It's lovely to be back together and even more lovely to walk in on this series in 1 Corinthians 15, the Easter series, these great Easter anthems all rolled together. I uh, turned up at our small group on Tuesday night and uh, opened up the passage and quickly realized I was going to need a commentary uh, alongside me because it was a complicated passage, wasn't it, last week, as Mike Tufnell explained it here at Turnham Green. But a fruitful one and a wonderful one. And let's pray as we approach this passage uh, that God might reveal to us his glory. Just, uh, also, just to say, it's, it's quite a long passage, so I've pre-recorded the second half of the talk for you uh, on Friday, uh, and you can listen to the second half of the talk uh, online from tomorrow as well. We'll focus on the first bit mainly. Father in heaven, we love you and worship you. We thank you for the hope spelled out in this passage about the glory that is to come. Lord, wherever we may be right now, wherever our emotions may be, our thinking, our physicality, our hearts, would you give us an attentiveness to your spirit that we might gain great hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to play a sort of liturgical bingo with you now, if if I may. Um, And if I say a phrase, can you see if you can uh, respond with the, the second half of the liturgy. Um, so the, uh, the first one just is a practice one. God is good. Well, at least one person got that. <laughs> God is good? All the time. All the time? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's try a more traditional one, shall we then? Uh, rest in peace. And rise in glory. Thank you very much indeed. Rest in peace and rise in glory is what is often said, isn't it, at someone's uh, passing. They say, may they rest in peace and rise in glory. And the subject of this talk is really to sort of delve into what does it mean to rise in glory? You may know that one of the duties of a deacon and a priest in their ordination vows is to prepare people for the next life, for what's to come, for rising in glory. One of the great duties and tasks of those ordained, but not just the ordained, each one of us, is to prepare one another for what is to come next. And the Corinthians at this stage, in 1 Corinthians 15, you'll find it on page 1156, uh, are questioning what would it mean for the dead to be raised and Paul says this is, a, this is a, a very strange kind of question, a foolish question, in fact. But they, they really want to know how are the dead going to be raised and what kind of body are they going to have when they come next? I think they're quite interesting questions, aren't they? You know, what, what's the guarantee? On what basis can we know that the dead will be raised? And what's it going to look like to come? Now, Paul immediately goes into sort of attack mode on this. In verse 36, he says, you foolish people, uh, don't you know that before you can rise again, as it were, you've got to be like a seed. And a seed goes into the ground, doesn't it? And comes out quite, 
quite changed, still with the same sense of what it was, an acorn, for example. But over a hundred years or so, that acorn becomes something almost unrecognizable, except that it carries on producing fruit in keeping with its original DNA. So he says, it's like that with God. Something goes into the ground, a human being, and he raises up something still with the same likeness and characteristics, and yet also totally different. He says then, verse 39, he picks up a, an interesting phrase around the word sarx in the Greek, or flesh in our translation. He uses it four times in that verse. It's not translated four times. It is in the King James Version. He says that not all flesh is alike. There's one kind for humans, another one for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. And the point of this in this bit is to say, well, look, flesh life, this fleshy human sarks life, that, that, that's going just like it does for the fish, you know. Jimmy's been fishing and he's caught a fish and it's not gone back in again. That's, that's going. Um, if an animal dies, that, that's going. If a human dies, yeah, that's going as well. But he just says there are different kinds of body. That's not the only type of body. There's not just this fleshy body. There are other sorts of bodies. Consider, he says, the, the different glories of terrestrial bodies and celestial bodies, earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. They, they have different types of glory, don't they? Here on earth, there's one thing. But there are also in the heavenlies things that seem to have light to them. So you might see the sun that has a light about it. You might see the moon that has a sort of reflected light. You might see stars and they have different types of light. There are dull things here on earth and there are bright things in the heavenlies. And he's making the point that something is of a different order. There are different orders of body. There are ones that perish away, but there are ones which have a light to them. And he carries on then, verse 42. So with the resurrection of the dead, perishable things are sown, but what is raised is imperishable. It's not going to pass away. Do you see the transitions he's taken us from? He said, look, observe around you. There are things that fade. There are things that are dull. But there are also things that are light and things that never seem to fade away. Now, he may have had in mind when he was thinking about these celestial images the, the very obvious visual aid that seems to happen if you're sitting on planet Earth, and each day it looks rather like the sun dies and is resurrected, doesn't it? Certainly that was how Greek mythology would have seen it. Almost like a, a death and a rising, a death and a rising. Same with the stars, same with the moon. They all seem to be this visual aid of it keeps coming round. And yet he wants to make a bigger point than it's just like that. He's saying there's going to be a transformation that occurs. So is the next life just me carrying on with the frailties that I've got now, um, with the graying hairs that I now have, uh, with the aches that I now have, with the emotional hassles that I now have, with the pain that I now have? No. Something's going to change. Just as something might be dull and something might be luminous, so we are now dull, but one day we will be luminous. So the second half of this, uh, great, um, this great hymn kicks off from verse 42 and finishes in verse 50. 
And he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What's sown is perishable, and what's raised is imperishable. That's verse 42. And if you went all the way down to verse 50, you'd notice that verse 42 effectively just carries on into verse 50. And he says, then I tell you then, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, and the the perishable doesn't inherit the imperishable. So we've got the perishable and imperishable and the perishable and imperishable there. What's he got in the middle? And why does he bother having verses 43 through 49? Well, this is going to give us the climax of the entire chapter 15, the entire um, reason that we actually can have a hope of glory. Let's Let's look at it apart. Verse 43 relates to verse 48 and 49. He says, the body is sown in dishonor. The word there really is not in glory. The the reason it's not in glory is that the Greek is doxa for for glory. Um, And the Hebrew behind that word is kabod, which means honor. So where we've got honor, we can also think of glory. The humanity was sown not in glory, but it will be raised in glory. It was sown in weakness, but it will be raised in power. And the, the image in mind here is repeated then in 48 and 49. This is really important, so do look in on this one. That there was a man of dust, and we are those who are of the dust. And then there was a man of heaven, and we are those who are of the, uh, as, as man is, uh, are those of the of kingdom of heaven. So the man of dust produces dusty men, and a man of heaven produces heavenly men. We have borne the image of the man of dust, and we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Do you see the parallel? On the one hand, we were sown in dishonor, not in glory, because we were like one man called Adam. Not only was he made low of dust, but he also did a dishonorable act. She did it. She did it. She made me do it, he said. And the dishonor increased and mounted. So we were like that. And we were, in that sense, um, physical beings where physical means um, of the soul. We were soulish like Adam was. We had soul. We were living beings. We were physical and natural beings. We were living beings, but we were limited by him. Something happens with Jesus, Paul says, that makes you a spiritual being. Right now, your life is impregnated with soulish living, the soul life, One day it's going to be impregnated with the Holy Spirit's life. Unadulterated, pure Holy Spirit. Every bit of your being that now has life because God breathed soulish life into it at creation will then be breathed in just by the Holy Spirit, i.e. by God himself. There's different types of bodies. A dull body and a luminous body. A body that's got the life that God's breathed into this earth, a soulish life, and a spiritual life to come. Pure, divine, (laughs) God-like. Nothing holding you back in any way. We've borne the image of the man of dust, and we will bear the image of the man of heaven. We've had 44, this physical body. We will have the spirit-filled body. Because as there is a physical body, there's a spirit-filled body, which is then repeated in 46, 47. It's not, the, it's not the spirit-filled which is first, but the physical and then the spirit-filled. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second is from heaven. 
And all of this leaves the central and most important verse of this passage, as in most of these uh, many epistles we've had in 1 Corinthians, it's something that comes in the middle that is the key verse. It's verse 45. The first man, Adam, became a living being, a physical being, a soulish being. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. Do you see the images that are being built up here? While you're walking around on this earth, you're another Adam, another Eve. They perished, they faded, they left the garden. They had capability to sit and to deceive, to muck up, to screw up. They were given the life of God, the soulish, physical, physicality, psyche of God. But then came another person into creation, a second Adam, the man Jesus. And he brought the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit so much, you're illuminated. You're luminous. You're a different order of body. You're not this same being that you are now. To explain how different you'll be is, is almost beyond words that we can use now. You will be the same but different, but you'll be so different. You're as different as an oak tree is from an acorn, and yet you'll still be recognizable. You remember Jesus in his resurrection appearances? He was the same, wasn't he? We didn't necessarily recognize him at first as well. Same but different, a higher order, luminous. So much so that if you were in the new heavens and the new earth that will be created, the thing that you'd most hate is to go back to this earth. (laughs) Because it's just so wonderful. You'd hate to leave this whole new glory. You'd hate to be constrained again in the physicality of this psyche existence. Because you'd have moved from a horrible, nomadic, leaky tent (laughs) into the glory of a mansion. And a paradise that goes on forever. You'd have moved on from knowing in yourself the wrestling between doubt and sin and pain and anger and hurt and brokenness. To freedom and life everlasting and joy and peace and an utter inhabitation with God. Because the problem was for some of the Corinthians, they already thought they were the pneumaticos, the spiritual. <laughs> so they already thought they were, they were it. They thought, well, we've already got the Holy Spirit. We've got spiritual gifts. We've got spirit stuff. <laughs> we're the pneumaticos already. And Paul's saying, no, there's different orders of beings. Yes, as Christians, you've got a taste of the kingdom of God now. You've got a bit of it. You've got a glimpse of it. And sometimes we see that in our prayer ministry, don't we? When sometimes, you know, maybe you come forward and you've got a headache. And the headache's relieved. Maybe you've got a backache and the backache's relieved. Maybe even you have cancer and cancer's relieved. And yet, we all die, don't we? We've only got tiny glimpses now of the extraordinary thing that's going to come forever. For Paul, like C.S. Lewis, like every Christian thinker down the ages, what we're doing now is, is term time. 
And the holidays are coming. What we're doing now is actually the shadow lands. What's going to come is deep reality. What we've got now is fading and passing. Just the title page. <laughs> What's to come is the contents and all the chapters that will emerge through history. It's no wonder he says that if there's no resurrection of the dead, then we're foolish. Because <laughs> if you've glimpsed what we've just been talking about, it's going to utterly change how you spend your time here, isn't it? If this is preparing you for then, <laughs> you're going to live with that reality as your central focus. <laughs> it's going to change what you're afraid of, isn't it? Who you fear. What you say. How you spend your time, your finances, everything. Because if this is your great reality, and this is the fading nothingness, <laughs> you, like Paul, will be saying, it's better for me by far that I depart and be with my Lord. Yet for now, I've got a mission to do, so I'm going to get on making a difference here. <laughs> with the mission he's given me now. Now this passage leads Paul into a crescendo of praise and worship, and that's what I've recorded for you on the Friday podcast, and I do uh, recommend you get a chance to listen to it just in the briefest of things. It says, look at the contrast he makes between immortality and mortality, between perishability and imperishability. The way that he talks about putting on immortality. Like I've put on my robes this morning for you. Our immortality is sort of clothed onto us. And we get this glory put all over us. You might want to think again on the power of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he hasn't used in this letter up until this point. Since the very beginnings. And how our Lord Jesus Christ finishes off the whole letter. And that's all on the podcast for you to listen to. And you might particularly want to think in on the final paragraph and the last two words in our NIV translation, in vain. Maybe these Corinthians are thinking, I, I've been doing this in vain. Maybe you've wondered, have you run the race in vain? Maybe life circumstances are overwhelming today. And you think, is this all in vain? And his answer to them is this loving, no, my dear, beloved people, this isn't in vain. Even with your stupidity, argumentativeness, divisiveness, sinfulness in Corinth. It's not in vain. And why is it not in vain? Because there are different kinds of bodies. Do you get? Have you earned? Can you acquire one of these glorious heavenly bodies by your amazing brilliance and work and effort and more morality now. <laughs> no, we can't change ourselves, can we? But the man Jesus substitutes the psyche life 
for the pneumaticos life. The soulish life for the spirit-filled life. And if you get a handle on that, if you invite him by his spirit to fill you now, if you have that spirit that Paul describes as a deposit already working in you now, what happens when you die? That Holy Spirit that's in you, the deposit in you, sort of takes over. (laughs) We sometimes talk about how much of God have you allowed into your life, haven't we? Use the analogy of the car. Is he in the boot? Is he in the back seat, in the driver's seat? Well, however much of him is in the car, (laughs) when you die, if you've got a deposit of the Spirit in your life, well, suddenly light envelops the car. (laughs) The car gets filled with the Spirit. The psyche stuff's driven away like an acorn to an oak tree. It's transformed. It's still you, but it's different, and it's a zillion times better. It's not you, but on a good day. It's you, but on a day that you've never experienced yet, a day that's still to come, a day of perfection. It's you, but on a perfect day. Perfected, and it's glorious. It's so glorious. He has to say, well, where's your sting death? Where's your victory death? You've been defeated. As soon as they die, they're going to be transformed into glory. They're going to be glorious. Where's your sting, death? They're going to be far better off when they're dead than they are now. Where's your sting? It hasn't got a sting anymore because they're going from one thing to something so much better they can't even describe it now. And he, he almost wants to sing his way through the last few verses of this chapter. You almost can't do it without music. It's an alleluia moment. It's a handle moment. It's a Messiah moment. It's a glorious moment. So wherever you are today, however this veil of tears is treating you, however you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, this isn't the end of the story. It's not even the beginning of the story. It's merely the title page. And you get to be a character in the book that goes on forever and ever. If you just have a little deposit of the Holy Spirit now, one day you're going to be infused with the very Godhead right through a luminous being. May God bless his word to us today. In Jesus' name.